Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets show where we interview industry leaders and experts who are dominating their markets and pick their brains to figure out what they're doing and what's working and why so that we can learn how to impact more people, generate more revenue and live freer lives in our businesses. In this episode, we're speaking with Frank Lippman. Frank uh, is a typical doctor and he went to leader in non-Western medicine. He's a functional and integrative uh, medicine doctor, one of the original pioneers in the industry. Uh, he's author of six books. He's working on a seventh. He's New York Times bestselling author and has been in the industry for 40 years. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, to start off, I want to give our audience a bit of a, a background as to uh, who you are and, and how you got into this. So tell us how you kind of got started in this, how you figured out that you know, this stuff works since you've been doing it for so long. Yeah, give us a bit of a background. Right, so I qualified in, you know, I grew up in South Africa during apartheid in the 60s, 70s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I went to medical school there and I was a traditional doctor. And during my training, uh, in, during apartheid, apartheid means separate. So you either had to work at a white hospital or a black hospital. And I noticed when I was working at black hospitals, when we couldn't help the patients, the family would call in the local healer, the Sangoma, and sometimes the Sangoma helped. So contrary to what I'd been told by everyone that this is all quackery and nonsense, I noticed that sometimes they were helping. And then after I finished my training, um, I went to work in the bush, you know, up north from Johannesburg, where I was from. And once again, I saw Western medicine helping for a lot of acute problems. We were doing uh, acute caesarean sections, appendicectomies, you know, fixing broken bones, uh, dealing with acutely ill patients. But when I used to go out into the clinics, I noticed that you know some of the patients that we weren't helping, the Sangoma was helping. Um, then I came back and I worked at a general practice in Johannesburg. Same thing happened again. I was seeing that um, Western medicine was very good at acute care, crisis care medicine. But when people were coming in and they were tired and they couldn't poop and they had headaches, Western medicine was particularly useless. And there happened to be one acupuncturist in Johannesburg there and then there were homeopaths because that was popular there. And I noticed that they were helping. So I noticed early on that my training was really good at crisis care medicine or my Western training was really good at crisis care medicine. But this other type of medicine, whatever it was, because, you know, we all we called it quackery then, seemed to be helping these patients that we couldn't help. And I went to the doctor I was working in the GP practice with, and I said, Paul, you know, what the hell is going on? You know, here I am. I can't help most of the people who are coming in. They're coming in with these day-to-day problems. We don't have solutions. Um, and he said to me, listen, your job is to be there for them support them and people get better in spite of what we tell them and in spite of what we do. And he actually encouraged me to go and learn acupuncture because I told him I didn't want to live under apartheid and we were leaving. And so um, I happened to get a job in New York as a resident. And he said, you know, go check out acupuncture. It's quite fascinating. And that was the beginning of my uh, journey. And I came to America, 1984. Started with a residency program because in those days you had to do three years as a foreign graduate in New York to get a license. Started doing my residency program and once again noticed that we were helping acutely ill people, but we were not helping these chronic day-to-day problems. 
And uh, I was pretty disillusioned with Western medicine in America because in South Africa, you had to, couldn't do a million tests. You had to take a really good history. Same as in New Zealand or in England, like GPs, you had to take a good history, examine a patient and make a decision. But you had to spend time with people. In America, it was all about lab tests, x-rays, EKGs. There was nothing about relationships and, and spending time with people. And that was the part of medicine I really liked. So there happened to be an acupuncture clinic attached to uh, Lincoln Hospital in the South Bronx where I got a job. They were doing detox. So I said, screw it. I'm going to check this out. I don't want to be a doctor in America. I'm going to check out this acupuncture program. And I walked over um, to this program. And in, in 1984, the South Bronx was pretty burnt out. That's actually how I got a job in America because American doctors didn't want to get jobs in those areas. So they took on foreign graduates. So I went to this acupuncture clinic and I walked into this room and there were about 20 addicts sitting with needles in their ears because they were doing acupuncture for drug addiction. You know, heroin and crack were epidemic in those days. So I walked into the room and there were about 30 or so addicts sitting with needles in their ears very quietly. And I went, holy shit, this is interesting because... The same patients I was seeing in the wards were pulling out their RVs. They were swearing at you. They were, they were very difficult to deal with. Addicts are very difficult to deal with. And I walk into this clinic in the burnt-out building in the South Bronx, and here there are 30 or so addicts sitting quietly with needles in their ears. So that was you know, the beginning. I went up to the guy who ran the clinic, and I said I introduced myself, and I told him what my story was. And He was intrigued that I was actually interested in acupuncture because doctors weren't interested in those days. And he took me on. He said, you can come here whenever you want. So for the next three years of my residency, I spent time doing my residency and all my free time, I used to go to the acupuncture clinic and started learning acupuncture and Chinese medicine. So that was the beginning of a journey. And, you know, in those days, it became very clear. Western medicine was wonderful if you had a heart attack, if you broke a bone, if you had acute pneumonia, but it wasn't particularly good for most day-to-day problems, whereas at the acupuncture clinic, that's what they were good at. So Mm -hmm. I saw early on that the future of medicine was some combination of Chinese medicine and Western medicine where you'd use the strengths of both of them and create some form of medicine, and that's what evolved over the years. But in those days, it was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, wow. That's really interesting. So from that point on, you obviously were learning a lot of different things and trying to bring it into to how you were managing clients. At that stage, did you, did you develop any kind of uh, protocols or systems around what you were doing? Or were you still in a situation of this thing that I'm thinking might work for this patient in particular? Yeah, there were no protocols. In those days, you were just doing whatever worked. And um, at the acupuncture clinic, I was doing and learning acupuncture and at the hospital I was doing what I had to do at the hospital but it started a process of me thinking there's got to be a different way here and and after my residency I got a job at a clinic on the Lower East Side and uh, they actually were interested in me starting acupuncture. There was a, a guy who was really ahead of his time who ran the clinic and he brought me on to actually bring on, it was in a poor area on the Lower East Side there in, in those days, and he brought me on to actually start trying to, to, you know, he had a nutritionist that he wanted to start bringing acupuncture to this population. 
And then over the years, you know, you, you're working with a nutritionist and you start, I started studying meditation and nutrition and herbs and you start learning all this stuff and trying to create some type of system to put it all together. But in those days, no, you were just doing whatever worked. Yeah. Um, how do you see uh, functional medicine and integrative medicine these days um, uh, compared to how it was then with the uptake from clients? Do you see uh, patients and things being more receptive to it now or has it got oh, less or more so? Oh, much, much more so. You know, in those days, so in those days I was just doing my thing and then um, an orthopedic surgeon actually, I helped him with his shoulder and then with his elbow and he said, oh God, I have a sports clinic, come and work in my clinic. And then I went to start doing acupuncture in his clinic and um, I'd also started developing a name because this, you've got to remember, this is now 1987, 1988, New York City, the HIV, the AIDS epidemic, not many people doing this stuff. And I started getting a name around the city as being someone who can help people with nutrition and acupuncture. So people started coming to see me, but it was you know, seekers or people, you know, a lot of people in, in the HIV world, in the arts community, not mainstream people. So it wasn't really any time that I had to convince people. People always wanted it. Just so happened that just grew and grew and grew. So I never had resistance in terms of patience. It was always people who sought me out and I didn't have to convince them of what I'm doing because you know, it was all word of mouth and someone had heard that I'd helped this person and they came with me and started seeing celebrities. And because when you start seeing celebrities, that your name gets out and people start writing about you. And that's how it all happened. And I was lucky, maybe because I was one of the early ones. I never had to convince anyone or, or try and sell myself. There was always resistance from the medical community and patients, doctors, but there was hardly ever, ever resistance from patients because they had sought me out. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that there, there's, because well, there's well, still I continuing resistance, but. Two parts of that question. Why they sought me out was they're not, they weren't getting help by traditional medicine because medicine is a crisis care system. It doesn't deal particularly well with most of these chronic day-to-day problems. You know, the metaphor I always use is if you're driving your car and the oil light goes on, you don't just put a band-aid over the oil light. You see where, why the oil light went on. You take it to the mechanic to see why the oil light went on. That's what I do in functional medicine. So people realize that they don't want to just put a band-aid over their problem. They want to see why the oil light's gone on. And then that, so why does Western, you know, Western doctors resist this? I think my generation, you know, I'm 66. It's a little bit different to your generation. My generation, people get brainwashed to think a certain way. They're part of a boys' club. They don't think out of the box. They don't want to rattle the system, especially in America. And they just, you know, anything that's alternative is just not accepted. But I do think it's changed. I mean, your generation is completely different. I mean, when I see older people, I have to explain to people what I'm doing and um, the philosophy. People, you know, in their 20s, 30s, like my, my, I have a 32, 33-year-old daughter, her and her friends – millennials and even 40-year-olds, you know, they understand this. They've been Googling and researching and reading. They, you know, they probably know more about their problem than I do often. So it's a mm. different, it's a generational thing. I think my generation is too lazy. have been brainwashed to think that the doctor knows everything. The next generation is different. They've been maybe brainwashed to question, which is fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah. So with where you're at right now and, and with a number of books and things that you've written, are you still working with clients directly? Do you run programs? Yeah. What happened with COVID, which was very good, is um, I only used to see patients live, people coming in. I'd never, you know, I used to get emails from all over the world and I just didn't want to do it. And what happened with COVID is we were forced into telemedicine, which I'm doing more of now and I absolutely love. I can stay at home and I can be on my computer and, you know, help people from home one-on-one because I love relationships. I love talking to people. I love hearing people's histories because you learn so much from talking to someone and hearing their stories because their stories usually tell you what the problem is. You know, taking a good history is is priceless. So the beauty of COVID for me has been I'm doing more telemedicine, which you know, I can stay at home and, you know, I still have my health coach on me, on with me. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing people from all over the world. So in fact, including New Zealand. So I love it. Mm. But so I, li- I like that. And then, you know, I write a lot. So I like, I see myself more as a teacher. Yeah, I love practicing and I love seeing patients. You know, it's sort of, you, you, I'm like Sherlock Holmes. A lot of the people who come and see me haven't been helped by traditional medicine. So I'm trying to work out and sort out their problems that other doctors haven't helped. So I love doing that. It's incredibly rewarding to help people who haven't been helped, to help people who are really sick and who have been told that there's nothing that they can do and you're going to have to be on this drug forever. So I love doing that. And it's, you know, it's incredibly rewarding. And, and at the same time I'm writing, I can be at home looking at the forest in my office with a glass, surrounded by glass. I can write books I can see patients so life is at this stage of my life I can spend time with my grandchild so um, in a way COVID's been good because it sort of forced me into something that I never thought I would actually get into. Yeah I think that it's it's really pushed a lot of people and it's shown a lot of us the weaknesses that we have in our processes, our systems and our businesses, but it's also given us opportunity to, to find new yep. strengths. And I love that you said that because it's been a very similar experience for me. And I think that's because the way we're doing things tends towards that. I feel like the world was heading in this direction anyway, um, being more virtual, being more automated, more systemized, more structured in the way that we deliver some of these things, programs and whatnot. A lot of my clients are working on programs to work with with their clients instead of just face-to-face healthcare. But I think that we're hitting there and then COVID's just kind of sped it up. I think it's a good thing for, in terms of getting people to look at things differently. We're now more at home. We're now researching more information. We're seeing more things. And so while there is more crap out there to look at that's no good, I think that it's an opportunity for us for people who are experts, people who have something good to share to actually start stimulating that conversation. Have you noticed that your, your audience or your, you know, your viewers, your listeners, et cetera, have grown uh, since COVID? More people are more aware of their immune systems, stress, their bodies, et cetera, and seeking more uh, of that sort of information? I don't know. You know, I don't really, you know, you're having me on a business show and I'm a terrible businessman. I've never thought about the business aspects of any of this. I've always just done what I want to do and I believe in. I've been lucky from that perspective. I've never thought or had to, you know, market anything or, or do so. I just do my thing, um, which is probably good and probably bad. You know, it's a new world now, digital marketing. And I did actually hire a digital marketing team to help me with this new book. But uh, as a general rule, I've 
just done my thing. Yeah. Um, I, I do think things are changing now. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it was one thing when I was sort of unique. Now, like, everyone's doing it. Whether they're doing it well or not is another story. But and I, and I love that everyone's, you know, I mean, I, you know, my role now is mentor more than anything else. So I like teaching. I like encouraging people to to do this stuff. Um, you, you know, I'm at a different stage of my life. Now it's about chilling out more, spending more time with the grandchild, you know. Yeah. Um, what motivates you to to write these books? What's inherently driving you to, to keep coming up with more content? Well, what motivates me is there's so much crap out there. So I always try and bring out responsible information that's user-friendly and easy to assimilate because I think there's so much information, people are so busy, and what I see my role as is someone who synthesizes a lot of information from a lot of different modalities and even cultures and simplifies it and, and tries to make it easy for people. So mm. that's what I'm really good at. So that's what motivates me, just to turn people on to looking after themselves, looking after their families, looking after the earth. That's what motivates me because, you know, I'm basically a preacher, uh, you know, I've seen the light. I know that the stuff works. I know it's a healthier way to look after oneself, the planet. Why not do it? Why are we subjected to uh, a system that can be traumatizing? Why are we subject, you know, whether it's an economic system, a medical system, a political system, if you look at the food system, if you look at all the systems, especially in America that we have to live under, most of them are actually, I mean, maybe rotten is a strong word, but maybe it's not such a strong word. They're not mm. particularly good or sustainable or healthy systems. So for me, the medical system is just another rotten system, you know, and maybe it's as easier for me to realize these things growing up in South Africa during apartheid because it's just pretty obvious that it was rotten. And to me coming here, you know, the systems were rotten. You know, the political system here, unfortunately, is rotten. The economic system, the food system, the medical system. So what motivates me is trying to change it, trying to, you know, show people in, in a simple way that there are better ways that are better for you personally and your health, but for everyone else too and the environment. What inspires you in particular for the content for your books? Do you have particular topics that you plan for that you think, okay, I'm going to be, I want to write about this thing. Does it come to you after conversations and you think this would be a good angle? How do you typically go about structuring um, something like that? Good question. So the books have, um, the last few books have been interesting. The, um, the new health rules, I was approached by um, <clears throat> a patient and writer who said, let's take your content and create a pretty book with pictures and make it very simple for people. So that was her idea, and that was did really well. Then I decided to take that concept and expand on it, and that's how I wrote How to Be Well, which is also illustrated and made easy. So what drives me is taking a concept and making it very user-friendly and, and accessible for people. And then the aging book that's just come out in October was maybe a, 
more selfish reason because I'm aging and I'm always looking at, you know, what can be done to age well. So mm -hmm. to me, the aging world is sort of an extension of the wellness world. I think it's the new wellness because we're all getting older. So it's sort of born out of, you know, my search and extending my concepts of wellness into aging. And, and actually then the publisher approached me about doing an aging book so I didn't have to do anything. And then the sleep book, which is coming out in May, came about because I realized that, you know, I always talk about sleep as being such a key part of health. And I saw that, you know, sleep is a complicated subject in terms of, you know, most people are starting to realize that sleep is important, but they don't really understand it. So that's sort of how the books, you know, the concepts come. I don't really think too much about it. I just see what I think is important and what's missing and, you know, what information I want to get out there. Mm. And books are always good for me because it, you know, makes me get into the research and it's always a, a learning experience for me. So um, I enjoy that part too. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who was contemplating creating resources like this, whether it was a book or whether it was, uh, you know, an ebook even on a topic? I've got a lot of uh, my clients uh, and, and listeners who not necessarily want to write a book, but want to just take some of their knowledge and frame it into a context that's more digestible for their audiences. Yeah, I would encourage that. I mean, writing a book and going through a publisher is a whole nother story and may not be necessary in the near future, maybe even now. Um, what seems to be a better avenue, and I haven't gone down that because I don't want to, you know, I'm just used to working with publishers, is creating your own audience and, and putting an ebook out. I think the the whole experience uh, and practice of, of writing, learning to structure it, is, it's helpful for me. It's really always been good to to research to try work out how to frame it because it helps you articulate things so i think i would encourage people to do it especially mm. find something that you're passionate about whether you have to go through a publisher or not's another story but find what you're passionate about and put it down there and then decide whether you want to do an ebook or go through a publisher publisher is just a little bit more complicated and you know, you, you don't make money from a book unless they start paying you a lot. If you've got a big audience, that's different. So it all depends, you know, how you want to do it. But publishing it yourself could be the way of the future. Mm -hmm. What's some advice you would kind of give to yourself if you were doing it all over again? From what you've experienced with publishing so many books in that process, uh, what would you want to tell what, yourself starting again? What I would have done is, Probably, um, if I was young, I sort of worked with some media savvy partner who could have helped me grow my audience and create my own little tribe rather than having to go through a part. I mean, I, I don't think the publishers bring that much to the table, to be quite honest. They're going to hate hearing that. But, you know, I think it doesn't necessarily need the publishing world. I've never got that much help from editors or the publishing world in terms of publicity or anything. Maybe in the beginning it gave me some credibility because I have all these books, but I don't know if you need that. I mean, I think if my younger self, I would say find some media savvy young person who understands the web and how all of this stuff works and do it yourself. 
to be quite yeah. honest. That's what I think now. But I'm too old for that. So I just go through my old, you know, I, so I can go through a publisher, they'll pay me a fair amount, and, you know. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessary, and I, you no. know, to be quite honest. When I wrote my book, it was literally to solve an immediate problem that I needed in my business for people to be aware of what I was doing and also to give solutions to problems for my audience. And so I treated it like that. I said, well, I'm going to put together a structure, call it a book. It's an ebook. And then we launched it to existing audiences. We ran ads. We did a lot of things. We sold thousands of copies because we just went direct to what is the purpose of this thing, which is to get knowledge across in a digestible yeah. format. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Someone like you is, well, do you want to do a book with me? We'll do it. <laughs> no, that, I think that's probably the way to do it rather than the old school way, which I've been doing. That's my generation. Probably a better way is that way, to be quite honest. I don't think publishers bring that much to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've got one last question for you. So, what would be one piece of advice you'd give to health professionals who are in business, who are looking at taking their knowledge and, and impacting more people that they can do uh, you know, in the next few weeks? What's something simple that they can do to take their knowledge and actually turn it into a resource that, that helps people? Yeah, you've got to work with what you're passionate about. You know, your passion will always come through. You've got to be genuine. You've got to practice what you preach. You've got to you know, if you feel you strongly that you have something to share with the world and you've seen it work and you feel passionate about it, you know, get it out there. But I, I'm not a fan of doing it the other way around, seeing what's needed and then trying to fill that niche. It's more about what, what, what you feel passionate about and what, you know, if it happens to be the same thing that you think like the sleep book, for instance, I feel passionate about sleep and I saw there wasn't something out there on sleep. So that's why I did it. But I, I think what I feel weary about, and maybe I'm wrong, is you see there's a gap somewhere in the market and you go try and fill that gap. Mm. I mean, that's not the way I think. Um, but then again, I've never thought about how to do these things. But I think find a purpose find your mission, find your passion. To me, that's what life is all about. That's what healthy aging is all about. And then lastly is don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. Got to like, you know, don't think you're special or whatever. And that's where kids and grandchildren and whatever, you know, you're just another, you know, <laughs> whatever. So, I think, yeah, you've got to laugh about these things and you just do it. Do what you really believe is important and get it out there. I love that. I love that advice because too many of us take ourselves too seriously and in doing so you lose the essence and sometimes you create these personas that are hard to maintain because it's not really who you are and when yeah, you lead yeah. with energy, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to maintain. Yeah. yeah. You've got to be real. I think it's really important. Um, Especially um, now more than ever, there's, there's too much, you know, as um, uh, quoting a Trumpism, fake news, right? Uh, yeah. There's too many people who are, who are not being genuine and they're doing it for, for reasons or there's too much stuff out there that's just not serving of the people. And I think that if you can be authentic in that, A, it, it works from a business sense. You attract more people because people are attracted to authenticity and B, it just kind of changes the narrative away from, poorly put together information you know yeah i think being authentic is really important i've always found that important i think that's what 
people have come to see me and why I've grown such a big practice is because I'm not pretentious. I'm not, you know, I treat whether you're a celeb or whoever, you get treated the same. There's no one, mm. you know, we just try to be kind and nice to people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our audience connect with you? DrFrankLipman.com, DrFrankLipman.com. Perfect. And, and I also I tweet, I think it's DrFrankLipman.com. I'm on Facebook. I don't know why I hate Facebook. Um, and, and we do some Instagram too. I don't, my health coach does my, the Instagram for me. But uh, yeah, DrFrankLipman.com. I have a free newsletter, put out a lot of good information. My blogs are, yeah, it's always generally good stuff. Yeah, amazing. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Thank you so much. You take care. Thanks. Okay, thanks, James. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people, and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable, and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach, or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention. Because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did but with a tenth of the time and a tenth of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business and I want to share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.